great Odin's raven. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast, episode 27. My name is Adam. Today I'm joined, as always, by Kevin. How are you doing there, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good as well. Today we're going to be doing a monthly segment we like to call Best and Worst, where we each induct a new film into our 10 out of 10 Hall of Fame, and we drop another one into our 1 out of 10 Pit of Shame. We also have some news bits, including trailers for Paperboy and Killing Them Softly, as well as the Sight and Sound Top 50 Films of All Time. And as usual, we'll be highlighting some Amazon Blu-ray deals and giving our weekly movie predictions. But first, let's talk about what we've been watching. Kevin, why don't you start us off this week? Oh, okay. Can do. Uh, The first movie I saw was a documentary about the famed fashion designer Valentino just to start off this was not my idea well actually it was my idea but my wife has been wanting to watch this so watch this I'm always intrigued by the fashion industry because I don't understand it it's so bizarre to me Mm -hmm. and not really I mean like I understand fashion like straight laced just normal fashion the thing I don't understand is the haute couture Mm-hmm. You know, like the high fashion, the, right. like the really out there type shit. And once again, I still don't understand it. It just blows my mind. I don't get it. But there was one thing about it that I do appreciate now with the guitar stuff is it's all like completely handmade mm-hmm. by, you know, these unbelievably talented seamstresses. And just their attention to detail is unbelievable. And the way that like he Valentino interacted with like his employees, it was, it was, it was pretty good. I mean, it was somewhat eye opening. I still, like I said, I still don't understand it, but it sort of goes over like his whole career and business decisions. And he's actually like forced into retirement and stuff. He sort of gets screwed over, but it ends, it culminates at the end with a, like a 2007 retrospective of his like 45 year career. They hold it at this, uh, this museum in Rome. And it was pretty cool to see like everything laid out. And of course he invited like all of his employees and stuff to come, come to the show. It was pretty cool. But like I said, I still don't understand all couture. It just blows my mind. I don't really understand it either. I don't pretend to understand it, but the way that I always looked at it was that they it was always things that were designed to set trends, right? So, like, the, some of the crazy stuff that they wear, I the way that I take from it, because you're not going to buy any of that stuff at a store, right? Hmm. So No, no, no. For, for it to be considered all couture is it has to be custom fitted to the person that's going to be wearing it. Right. It's not something that you could just make and then like someone comes by and like, oh, I'm going to buy that. Yeah, exactly. So to me, when I look at that stuff, I look at it as these designers trying to set trends and, you know, have, have like the latest trends in fashion. Yeah. I mean, when they were showing like his, how do I want to put it? I guess like his, you know, stuff that can actually be bought 
you know, like the lower line that's actually available for people. It was still, it's still amazing because it's like the attention to detail and everything is handmade. It's not, you know, like a factory where there's a bunch of people at sewing machines. You know, it's not like a sweatshop type deal. You know, these are like actually talented people that really take pride in what they do and stuff. It was pretty, it's pretty eye-opening. Actually, I I just saw, kind of related to that, I saw a movie last night about models. It was one of the HBO summer documentary films. Oh, yeah? It was about uh, like supermodels then and now. And it went over like some of the, like Isabella Rossellini was one. And they just talked to these, you know, former models that are, are now older and just talks about their lives and what changes when they get older and stuff and how their careers change. And they talked to like Christy Brinkley and some of the real you know, famous models. That was pretty interesting. It's just, to me, the thing that really doesn't, I don't understand is you're making clothes, but they take themselves so seriously. Like they're changing the world and stuff. And it's like, you're making clothes. Calm down. It's like Jiro dreams of sushi. Yeah. It's people that take their profession very, very seriously and take it to the next level. Which, I mean, that is a good thing. It doesn't seem like there's there's not too many of those people around anymore. We're, no. s- we're so, I guess we're so used to mediocrity now. Yeah. Well, people just go to Old Navy and buy their fleece whatever and... Day. <laughs> Fleece whatever. Made in Bangladesh. What else you got? I finally saw the Iron Lady. I still haven't seen this. The Iron Lady with uh of course Meryl Streep playing Margaret Thatcher. And uh Jim Broadbent. I didn't know he was in it, but he plays her deceased husband Dennis. And he's he's actually a ghost in most of the movie. Really? Yeah. This was completely different than what I thought it was going to be. Okay. I thought this was like an autobiography of like her life, which I mean, essentially it is that, but it deals more with like near the end. Would not not necessarily say the end, but in her older age when she's dealing with dementia. And she's sort of like a prisoner in her own house because people are, you know, of course, concerned about her and stuff. But it's so... I don't know. It just, I didn't like it at all, the way they did it. I mean, it was a fine performance from Meryl Streep. I mean, she she did a great job as Margaret Thatcher. But they didn't really deal with any of the, like, historical things that happened throughout Thatcher's career. Like, the stuff that she had to deal with. They just sort of, like, touched on it here and there. But they really focused it on, like, the dementia part of it. And her coming to grips with her husband being deemed being deceased and Mm. and it it seemed like i read up on it a little bit and i guess this is all based on an article that margaret thatcher's daughter wrote talking about having to deal with her mom's dementia and stuff so it seems like the movie just sort of guessed at things and just sort of like put together their own story which i thought was sort of i don't know what to say um somewhat unprofessional to just sort of guess 
of someone's life dealing with dementia, especially someone so prominent, like a historical figure like that, the first prime minister of the United Kingdom, uh, first female prime minister, and just sort of, you know, to just touch lightly on little things. It's just, I don't know. And it was just all back and forth. It went back in time and then to the present day. And like I said, her husband's a ghost. And just, I don't know. It wasn't good. Uh, yeah, I wasn't interested in that to begin with. So. It wasn't good. I mean, the, the Meryl Streep performance was great. I'll give her that. And there was a couple other people in it. Uh, Olivia Coleman from uh, Peep Show. And Tyrannosaur is in it. She plays the daughter. Mm-hmm. Um the guy from uh, Game of Thrones plays Margaret Thatcher's uh, father, but eh, I don't recommend it. I mean, if, unless you're curious to see Streep's performance. A good you, performance alone isn't enough. No, no, it's not. Very good performance, but other than that, not much else going on there. Do cool. not recommend it. That's a skip? Skip it. Uh, the second or third movie that I watched was Scalene, which I know you also saw. Yep. What'd you think? It was okay. I mean, it was pretty good for an indie film, I guess. I definitely... Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely interested to see what this guy does from here on out. I'll definitely like keep an eye on Zach Parker, the director. But I would agree with uh, Margot Martindale. Gave a really good performance. But is it just me, or, did you th- or do you agree with me that uh, Hannah Hall... The girl that played Paige, the the college caretaker, extremely inconsistent performance. There were yeah, scenes uh, <clears throat> where she was really good, and then scenes where she was just awful. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think in my letterboxed review, I mentioned something about that, where there was at least one scene in particular that uh, she did a really good job, and but there were other scenes where she was just terrible, mm-hmm. and. I thought for the most part, most of the actors were not very good. No. Most of the acting, most of the dialogue was not very good. And no, all like those. you said, I will be interested to see where this Zach Parker, what he does next, because this movie had a real kind of a, a Hitchcock feel to it. Yeah. The music, I thought, was very Hitchcockian, but I was, I guess, sort of underwhelmed by it. Yeah. It was kind of a cool idea. Yeah, I like the idea of like three different points of views and starting off showing you what happens, like the end result, and then sort of showing you how you got there. Because, you know, there are parts where, you know, it's based around this mentally handicapped, uh, what was he, like 26, 25, yeah, something 26. like that? Yeah, in his mid 20s. And like for a while there, it's like, oh, man, this is really sad and stuff. And then, you, like, I don't know, like 30, 40 minutes into the movie, you find out how he got that way. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that sort of changes things. But I just, I thought it was kind of blah. Yeah, yeah. but like you said, like, all, all the supporting characters, like the outliers, were, that was not good acting. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was <laughs> At all. horrible. I mean, Mario Martindale was pretty good. The only thing, I don't might be the writing or maybe they wanted her character be that be this way but her incessantly calling people by their names always oh my God. 
drove me crazy. I'm so, dude, I am so glad you mentioned that because while I was watching it, I was like, I would love to see this script and see how many times they say the name Jeffrey. Jacob. 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 Oh yeah. my God. It was just every other word in this movie. And it wasn't just Margot Martindale that did it. She did no, it a lot, but it was she everyone. Was, yeah, I mean like she she was in it. She had the most screen time, but everybody, everybody yeah. did it. And then she even did it with her her boyfriend, Charles. She would always say Charles. Every time that she was talking to him, she would either end a sentence with Charles or start the sentence with Charles. Yep. It's like, and, oh my God, she, stop saying people's names, please. And she did it uh, at the be- at the very op- the opening scene of the film when she went to the girl's house, too. Yes. She was just saying her name over, over and over. And it uh, was so annoying. I think that that's something on a script level. Yeah. But I did. I, I want to say again i margo martindale i thought was really good because she she was able to just like switch her emotions mm-hmm. so quickly where she would just be like you know very caring for her son and everything and then next thing just switch to being completely frustrated and exasperated with him yeah which, which i thought was really good yeah i thought that her performance was good but like i just said one per- one good performance isn't going to do it. For no, her in a movie. no. And she's she's a great actress, and I think that, that was a really good role for her. But I just thought that the movie was nothing more than average. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say skip it though. No, I'd say no. check it out. No, I gave it a three out of five on Letterbox. I think that. Yeah, it's, it's about what, that's what I gave it to. Yeah, it's it's good. It's just not anything great and yeah I, re- I wish that they would have spent more time on the son's point of view yeah because same here. they they really only show that section of the film for what five or ten minutes it seems like maybe ten minutes yeah so they they really kind of gloss over his and i thought that his was the most interesting just to see how he perceives the world after the accident yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think they just kind of gloss over that really briefly. Yeah, because it's not really three points of view. I mean, if you think about it, from Jacob's point of view, like you said, it's only a couple minutes. Right. So it's really only two points of view. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything uh, else you got this weekend? Oh, another one I can cross off my list of movies that I need to see before 2013. Uncle Boone Me, who can recall his past lives. Didn't you already see this? No, I have not. I've seen two other movies by this director, which is uh, which I now know how to pronounce. Pichapong Wirasethical is his name. Yes, the Thai, the Thai director. Killed it. Uh, I saw, we talked about, or I talked about before, was a Mysterious Object at Noon. Yeah, where he sort of used that exquisite corpse uh, line of storytelling. Yeah. Plus, I also saw, um, before we started this show, I saw uh, Syndromes in a Century, which is mm. a really good film by him. But I've been meaning to check this one out for a while, because, of course, it is winner of the Palme d'Or at the 2010 Cannes Film Festival. And, of course, he's the first Thai director to win the Palme d'Or. 
again, this guy is very experimental filmmaker. Uh, this is completely shot on six millimeter film. And essentially it's about a character who, like the title says, he can recall his past lives, but he's also in the process of dying. He has like some sort of kidney infection and he shot this movie on six reels and each reel is shot in a different cinematic style. So one, one reel would be shot sort of like documentary style. And then another one's sort of like a costume drama period piece. And then another reel is shot in like old school cinema style. So like throughout the movie, it's changing and evolving, which is really weird. For me, though, I was really, I thought this was going to be more surreal than what it turned out to be. I mean, there's there's ghosts. He's visited by the ghost of his dead, uh, dead wife and his long lost son comes back but he doesn't come back in human form. He comes back as what is called a monkey ghost, which is he's head to toe black hair all over his body. And he has red eyes, which is odd. Monkey ghost. Monkey ghost. And like I said, imagine, you know, for me, it's not surreal enough, but there is a very bizarre scene with a princess that lays in the water and has sex with a catfish. Okay. So there is that, which was very odd, (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, so that happened. But apparently this is based on a book that was written by a a Buddhist monk based on a real guy named Boonmi who claimed that he could see or he could actually recall his past lives when he meditated. And there was actually a book published in like 1983 that was written by the Buddhist monk. So apparently this guy could do it. That'd be cool. I'd like to do that. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. When I started watching it, I was like, oh, this is going to be a 10 out of 10. Which was probably my fault. I shouldn't have got my expectations up so high. But it didn't quite reach there. I'd say it's probably like an 8. An 8? Okay. i give it an 8. I mean, it's still a good movie. I still thoroughly enjoyed it, but it didn't hit the 10 out of 10 mark. Oh. It's unfortunate. That's a shame. Yeah. But I'm, I like this director, and I'm glad that there's directors like him out there. You know, they do like the experimental stuff, try new things. Because I think you need a couple of those guys working. Guys or girls doing that stuff. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Sounds like a pretty good week. Mm-hmm. I had a pretty good week as well. Um, first, okay, it didn't start off good. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit that. Didn't start off great. I started off the week by seeing the... I can, I'm continuing my horror trilogy <laughs> uh, endeavor Ooh. with the Maniac Cop trilogy. What the hell is the Maniac Cop trilogy? Uh, these are kind of regarded as, as classics. These are... These came out in the 80s when the the whole slasher craze was in full force. Mm. And these were kind of interesting because they weren't like your traditional slasher films. They were they were kind of mixing a cop movie with them. So they were, mm. there was there was car chases and shootouts and stuff like that. 
and the the first one was horrible the second one was watchable and the third one was horrible also <laughs> Uh, so, it's a, it's, so these movies took a certain arc. Yeah, started out horrible, peaked at two, and then went back to horrible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it, it was interesting though. the The part that I liked the best about part two is that the maniac cop didn't use doors. He just walked through the doors, and it was just so funny to see him. Not even he's just like whatever, and he just they just show him walking through doors. And like you know, the glass breaking and the wood just shattering. He just walks through doors. Whatever. Now, does he just like casually walk through them, yeah, and they yeah, just yeah. sort of explode around? Him? He doesn't run or anything like that. He's just you know got this normal kind of meandering <laughs> pace, and he just walks right through. And it's just like made out of paper. Just strolls through a door, and it completely explodes around him. Yeah, and the best nice. part was that the scene took place at the cop station. At the police station, and it was one of those setups where it was kind of like cubicles, but they were like little offices, so they were separated by kind of like walls and doors. Oh, so he so, just goes through a bunch of them? Yeah. So it was yes. just like door after door after door, just walking, <laughs> just walking through them. Nice. Uh, one thing to note is that in the first Maniac Cop, it was starring Bruce Campbell. Oh. Yeah. He was in yeah. the... He was in the beginning of the second one also, but earlier, one of his earlier films, and he's terrible in it, and <laughs> the character that he plays is completely unlikable, and it's just not a great series. I, d- I do see here that the, the original writer of Maniac Cop later went on to write Phone Booth. Yeah, yeah. Phone Booth. Phone Booth. And then I saw another not-so-good horror movie called The Tortured. This is about a a husband and wife whose son gets kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. And they find the person who does it. They sneak him, uh, kind of kidnap him from jail and keep him in this basement and torture him and sort of do the same things that he did to their son. Yeah. Kind of an interesting premise. I thought, you know, there's a twist ending, of course, and I thought that that was okay, but overall, no good. Terrible (laughs) acting, just terrible everything. There was some pretty grisly torture scenes in it. Yeah. But it didn't make up for just a shitty movie. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm I'm taking it that... These four so far are skips. I oh, shouldn't be. Yes. I shouldn't be running out and seeing these. Yeah, let me preface that. <laughs> skip, please skip all of these. Uh, one that you might want to check out. I would like you to see this, Kevin, because I think you might be interested in this. It's called Lovely Molly. Of course, well, it's another horror I am, movie. I am interested in this movie. It. It's kind of a different horror movie. It's not good. So don't. <laughs> Don't go into it thinking that it's going to be something great. Oh, but I heard that it is good. Who'd you hear that from? Uh, actually, it was... Internet? No, it was uh, in Film Comet Magazine. I think it was actually one of the must-sees. Okay, well, maybe maybe it is good. Uh, I didn't think it was... <laughs> to you, it's it, not. It was interesting. It was an interesting take on the whole like supernatural haunted house 
thing. And I think the reason that people might think that it's good is that it's very, it's a very symbolic movie. There's a lot of subtext. There's a lot of things that represent other things. And it's a movie that you really have to kind of read between the lines. And once you see like, Oh, okay, well this, when she said this, it meant this. And like the, the the symbol of you know this this horse amulet thing means this mm. then then once you figure that out you kind of have an appreciation for it uh however again terrible acting dialogue was terrible all the characters were despicable and i hated them all <laughs> and when that happens in horror movies when, yeah. when there's not even one character not even like you know a Jamie Lee Curtis character that i can latch on to and say oh, i like her i want her to survive at least yeah when there's no one like that well yeah when there's no characters with like redeeming qualities yeah there's you don't care no you don't so, so this is directed by a guy did believe which project yes it is yeah and it's funny because when you see the trailer for this it's like they're going to reinvent horror again but it's it's not i mean there there is some found footage type stuff in this yeah and it doesn't work and i wish that they wouldn't have gone there with it and i've i've noticed that in a lot of horror movies now instead of doing straight found footage they're mixing it they're mixing it up yeah mixture because chernobyl diaries does it i recently saw wreck three genesis and they do it in that as well where it's Uh, a it's a mixture of found footage and just normal I can't wait. I can't wait until the whole found footage craze starts to die down. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm getting sick of it too, actually. Yeah. So, it might be one to check out. I'd be curious to read more about what people think of this because I I honestly didn't read a whole lot about it. So, and I'd be really curious to see what your take is. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check this one out. Uh, I also saw Bombay Beach. Oh, I sort of saw that. Not enough to count it. Okay. I saw parts of it. My wife watched it while we were recording last uh, weekend. So okay. I came out and like saw the end. I like this a lot. I liked it a lot. Um, really, I love documentaries. And I love this style where it's almost like a Terrence Malick film. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It's got... It, it takes place in this really, really nasty, decrepit, old city in California. Not city, like town. Yeah. Where it's along the Salton Sea. And I guess that originally it was going to be a big tourist town. But for whatever reason, it didn't pan out. And the town just sort of decayed and there's just nothing there and it's it's just about some of the people that live there yeah i love any story about these sort of like failed community type deals you know where they had like these big aspirations for them and they just like completely turned into like ghost towns or like dead towns yeah it it was it was really good a lot there's a lot of people that compare it with gummo and I, i don't think that it's necessarily a good comparison because when you think gummo, you think of just ugh, like horrible. It'll make your stomach turn and just nasty, terrible people. But 
I actually enjoyed, I, I actually liked a lot of the characters in this film. Like, I, I wanted them to succeed. Like, there's this one kid that they follow uh, from time to time that he's trying to get a football scholarship and he's trying to do good in school and just get out of there and stuff. And Well, I did see that. Is that the same one where it was the scene where he's, like, dancing with his girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that scene. I got and to see that. that. That's the other thing I was going to mention is that they do intersperse the film with choreographed dance scenes. <laughs> and it might sound ridiculous, but the way that they kind of integrate them into the film, it, it really works. And uh, Beirut does the soundtrack. The, there are Beirut songs, but I think, that the, I think that the lead singer does some of the score as well. Mm-hmm. And there's also some Bob Dylan tracks in there. So it has a really good soundtrack, and it really complements the film. So highly recommend that. Yeah, I also got to see the little uh, part of it at the end with the the little boy. With the fire I, truck? Yeah, and yeah. how, man, he, I really like that kid. Because uh, like when, when he was going back to school, and they're like, you know, are you going to be able to behave yourself? And he just says, like, I hope so. I'm going to try my best. I guess what he had like bipolar or something. Oh, he was, yeah, he was, he had a lot of problems. They follow him a lot throughout the film. So you do get to see a lot of him and his family life. And it's, he's going to live a tough life. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And (laughs) at one point he finds out that his mom is pregnant and she's like, I have a baby inside of me. And he goes, what? You already have three. <laughs> it was just so funny. <laughs> but, uh, yep, yes. highly highly recommend that one. Uh, yesterday I saw Total Recall. Oh, the, new, the, new the Total last. Ah, uh, who gives a shit? The new Total Recall, directed by Len Weissman. This um, is the guy that did the Underworld. He did Underworld one and two. And he also did Live Free or Die Hard. So what and you're saying was, is so what you're saying is quality. Yeah. This is quality filmmaking right here. I think in my review I said that if you like the Underworld movies, you'll probably like Total Recall. Here's the thing, I didn't hate it. I didn't it wasn't a bad movie. But it wasn't good either. It was just nothing. It was just a nothing of a film. It was so Pointless. I actually almost fell asleep twice in the theater. So is this? It sounds like what you're saying is like it's a, a Xerox copy. It's the Manila folder <laughs> of Total Recall, the original right. Total Recall. This is I had. To, I, why did this happen? It had to That's, be a cash grab. It had I, to be. I just because don't the, understand. Other than the the visual effects, it doesn't surpass the original. And let's be honest. The original Total Recall wasn't like a masterpiece. No, you know, it, not I mean, at all. It was, it was an Arnold movie. It was an okay sci-fi action movie. I I really liked the first Total Recall because it has all kinds of cool, like weird things in it. I don't know if you remember the original Total Recall, but it's got all kinds of weird shit in it. Yeah. This one doesn't have any of that. It doesn't have any of the, like the crazy weird mutants. But of course, they have to throw in the the girl with the three breasts. I was just gonna say they. I'm I'm sure they kept that. 
Yeah, they did. They did keep that. And also, this is a PG thirteen movie, but you do get to see her bare breasts in it, which was interesting. I guess because it's three, it's not real. Yeah, I, I'm sure that that's how they got away with it. But a uh, really boring storyline. The action is very. It, it's too much. It's almost nonstop. And the action scenes, like the set pieces, uh, some of them at the beginning are really cool, but as the film goes on, they just get kind of more boring and mundane, and I just, I can't recommend it. So, but are we, are we able to, I guess, label this a Bokeem Woodbine comeback? Is he in the (laughs) midst of a comeback? Uh, He plays a pretty small... Uh, he was the the friend of Doug, and that was the Dean Norris character in the original one. <laughs> Dean Norris, who is on Breaking Bad. Yeah. There so you go. anyway, pretty pretty disappointing with Total. Re- oh well, I, I shouldn't say disappointing because I had no I had no <laughs> expectations. I was gonna say that means that you went in hoping yeah. to be a good movie, but I, I went think in, you know. I went in with a blank slate. I came out with a blank slate. <laughs> Got nothing. Uh, the other and the only other one, and we're, we'll probably talk about this uh, after you see it. Was Beasts of the Southern Wild? You son of a bitch! Uh, this was by far my favorite movie of the year, and it was a complete. In, in my opinion, it was a masterpiece. I absolutely loved it. If you want to hear my thoughts in detail, you can head on over to filmpulse.net and read my review. It was a really difficult movie to review. Very mm. difficult. Whereas Total Recall took me about 15 minutes to write. <laughs> Bang that one out real quick. Beast uh, of the Southern Wild was much more difficult. It excelled in every aspect of filmmaking. From the cinematography to the soundtrack to the acting. Everything was phenomenal. And I'm afraid that I'm, I'm playing it up too much for you and then when you go see it you're going to be disappointed or something but i just i can't help it that movie is just incredible yeah i think I, i'm pretty sure i'm not going to be disappointed by this movie yeah. i mean that that's all i'll say about it until you see it and then we can get into it in more detail in fact i even though it's been out for a while now i think that i would still like to dedicate a show to it so no, i'm for that yeah we'll we'll do that so uh, I think that does it for what we watched. Let's move on and do some news. Oh. Uh, first up, we've got some trailers. Killing Them Softly. Did you <laughs> check this one out? Uh, I did see the trailer for this. What do you think about this one? Uh, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. I'm definitely interested in it. I love this scene where they go to talk to uh, Ray Liotta. Yeah, and the... The, 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 um, the camera follows the action, but it doesn't go in the house. Yeah, yeah I like that. And how the, the you just see the windows breaking and then him flying out the door. Mm-hmm. I think I have, that this is going to be great. I yeah. really did. You see the assassination of Jesse James? I saw a good part of it, but not enough to critique it or anything. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And I did. I did. I thoroughly enjoyed the cinematography and the parts that I did see. This this movie. Clearly, it's a it's a crime film, but it looks a lot like a Coen Brothers movie to me. 
Mm. I can see that. There's a lot of good, yeah. There's a lot of good people in it too. Oh yeah, there's there's uh, it stars Brad Pitt and it's got Ray Liotta, James Gandolfini, Richard Jenkins. Um, there's a bunch of other people ben, in it too. Ben Mendelsohn from Animal Kingdom yes. and Scoop McNary from Monsters, which yeah. I have to say, based on the trailer, he looks really good in this movie. Uh, Monsters, he was not good, and I was worried when I saw his name on the cast list, but. From the trailer, he looks to do an exceptional job. So I'll wait so, and see. I'm really excited about that. You should definitely check that trailer out. I think it looks like it's going to be awesome. It looks like they mix in a good bit of comedy yeah. with it. So, And I think that that played at some festivals already. And oh, yeah. It, it was oh, getting yeah. some... They got mixed reviews. Getting some good stuff, but... Some people loved it. Some people did not. They actually played a can. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We also have the Paperboy trailer. This is Lee Daniels, who did Precious, based on the book by <laughs> <Double>. Sapphire. <laughs> based on Push. Based on uh, this also played a can. This did play a can, and I'll tell you, I was pretty ambivalent about this one, but after seeing the trailer, I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on this. I have to agree. When I first heard about this, I was like, I no interest. I don't like half the people that are in it. And I was just, no. But I was like, well, I'll check out the trailer at least. And it looks pretty good. I'm hoping that this is going to be a comeback for Cusack. It would be nice to f- finally see John Cusack do good work. Because we all know that he can do it. It just, for whatever reason, it seems like he picks some really terrible scripts. I really like John Cusack. I always liked him. High I Fidelity like, is still like one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I mean, when he's on, he's on. You know, the, the good movies that he's in, he's great. It's just some of his decision-making on the scripts that he picks. You know, Edgar, that Edgar Allan Poe movie. It's like, well, what are you doing, John? I'll tell you though, he did, he, he, he did look like Poe. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it was, a, it was a terrible movie. I saw it. It was. Terrible. I, I hope that's not the way that he got talked into doing it. Hey, you sort of <laughs> look like Poe. All right, I'll do it. I don't think so, but either way, I think that this the Paperboy looks pretty good. I'm excited yeah. for it. Yeah, I mean, Zac Efron is apparently two movies now with good directors that this Lee Daniels movie, the paper boy. And of course the new movie by Raymond Bahraini, where he plays opposite. I think who's a Dennis Quaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which that seems like a real departure for Bahraini, but curious to see how that plays out as well. We also have the paranormal activity Four trailer that debuted. Oh, catatonic standing. This one. I'm just not back in full effect. This one I'm just not uh, too, you know, it's funny because I, I say that I'm not into it and I wasn't into the Paranormal Activity 3 trailer when that hit and I went to see the movie and I loved it. <laughs> so. Well, well, just like I said in the, in the post on the website, I don't really like these movies that much, but I love going to see these movies. It is so much fun. It's a little tradition every October to 
go see the paranormal activity movies and just see people lose their minds, just freaking out in terror. It's great. Like when we saw the first one down in Florida mm-hmm. and there was, there was like the frat guy that was sitting next to my wife. He was like crying. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just sitting there like curled up in a ball going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> oh, I, I absolutely love that. I love it. I think they're I think they're great. I think they are sc- I mean they scare me. So the only problem is is they're so formulaic where you yeah. like I already know what's going to happen. You know. Yeah, of course. They set up the camera equipment. This time they use Skype as well. And you know, nothing happens. And then probably, you know, around like three o'clock in the morning something a little bit scary happens. And then the next time something a little bit scarier happens around like two or four o'clock in the morning. And then near the end, things start happening during the day and they just escalate. Yeah, but you have to admit that in the third one, they definitely ramped up the uh, scares per minute. Yeah. Especially near the end of the third one it was just like nonstop. Like the last like 15 minutes of the movie, it was just crazy. I just, I'm. I'm interested to see some of the new things that they try out. Well, they got the same directors, so that's. I think that that's a good sign. Yeah. Because I, I think that those guys are good. Uh, I really liked Catfish, and I liked Paranormal Activity 3, and I think that getting documentary directors to do this type of movie is a good choice. How, how far do you think they're going to go with these damn movies? Well, I think they'll, they'll, they'll play them into the ground. I think that they'll keep yeah. making them. They'll keep making them because they cost nothing and they make millions. So True. They'll, they'll keep they'll keep making them until they're like. I mean, look at Saul. There's seven Saul movies. Seven. There's seven Saul movies. Are I'm you pretty, serious? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's seven of them. I've seen zero. And those movies cost a considerable amount more than Paranormal Activity. And they used to crank those Saw movies out every single year, just like they're doing with Paranormal Activity. So it's like, yes, it is a formula, and but it, it makes shitloads of money, and I'll still go see them. Mm. And <clears throat> maybe four will be the the one that's, you know, crap. But but I'm just thinking, man, they're the story's wearing a bit thin. I don't. There's not much more they can do with the story that they have. I, I feel like there is. There's. There's not a lot more, but I would say in one movie they can wrap it up. Yeah, but I mean, they stretch few, it out. They stretch it out over like seven or eight movies. No, it's gonna start wearing thin. Where you're like, uh, that's a stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they should. What they should do is just take Paranormal Activity Four, wrap everything up. Because there were a lot of loose ends in the third one. Like, a lot of questions about what was going on that that needed to be answered. And let's let's get that figured out in the fourth one, and then move on. Like, they'll probably do a completely different family and a completely different, you know, different everything. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Which is, not, that's not necessarily bad. I mean, that's what they're doing with American Horror Story on FX. Yeah, like true. in one season, they wrap that entire story up, and in the second season, it's going to be something completely new. And I think that's good, especially if it's like 
if it's a show where there's like a certain character you don't like or whatever, come back, start fresh. Uh, I think that does it for news. We do have the Sight and Sound Top 50 Films of All Time, and I think we'll get to those before we um, go over our 10 out of 10s, because I think that they might be, well, at least mine is somewhat related. So Mine is related as well. Let's go over some Amazon deals. To get these incredible deals, just go over to our site at filmpulse.net, click on the Amazon banner, and shop as you would normally, or click on the store link and check out some of our favorites and what we've been watching. Uh, First up, we have the Hannibal Lecter Collection Blu-ray. It says the Hannibal Lecter Collection, but it only contains three films, and that's Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs, and Hannibal. And it's $26.96, but... To me, this is a better collection than if it included those other two that are not so good. Red Dragon and Hannibal Rising. Hannibal Rising was... I mean, it ruined the whole series, pretty much. <laughs> but, mm. And I never did see Manhunter, so I don't know how that one is. I've never seen Manhunter either. Yeah. Uh, and then we have... One for you, Kevin. Singing in the Rain, 60th Ooh. Anniversary Edition Blu-ray. Oh yes. This is eleven ninety-nine. Mm. I'm gonna pick that up. I think you should pick it and up. Then, and then finally, we have the Born Trilogy, which contains uh, the Born Identity, Supremacy, and Ultimatum Blu-ray. This is twenty-seven ninety-nine. Get your uh, get up to date with the Born Trilogy before the new one comes out. Yeah, good timing on their part. Yeah. They're thinking ahead. Yeah, they are. So there you go. Let's uh first let's go over this um Sight and Sound top fifty. Singing in the rain is number twenty. Yeah, it is. Just it hit is you off of that. I, I don't really have too much to say about this actually. I thought that the addition of Mulholland Drive was interesting. Especially yeah. at twenty eight. Yes. This is this was the biggest surprise to me. Mulholland Drive at 28. Uh, that that just, one, yeah. It blows my mind. I don't even I know liked, if I would call that Lynch's best movie. I liked Mulholland Drive, but... I mean, I, top 50 top of all 50? time? I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know if I'm... And especially not that high. I mean, I could maybe see it at 50, 49, but 28... Well, considering the fact that there are some pretty big movies that are not on this list. I mean, to me, like Jaws, for instance, I think that Jaws should be on this list. I think that there should be at least some Spielberg on this list. And I'm not a a huge Spielberg fan, but, you know, he is a great director and probably one of the greatest directors, greatest American directors. Now... the only thing that makes me happy is to finally see Vertigo overtake Citizen Kane. That's because the I think thing. me and you are in agreement that Citizen Kane, although it is a great movie, I don't consider it the greatest movie ever made. I yeah, think I mean, Vertigo Citizen might Kane be okay. closer. It was okay. And I'm surprised only one female director. That's oh, yeah? it. Only one female director. And of course, this is the movie that I want Ryan to watch more than anything in the world. Was Gene Dealman, which is on Criterion. It's essentially uh, a day in the life of a woman played out in real time. So, like, when she's making dinner, it shows her making dinner. There's no cutting, nothing. It's like two hours of preparing meatloaf. 
and I want Ryan to watch that. And that's at number 30. Yeah, that's at number 35. And that's it. That's the only female director. And of course, uh, tied for number 50 is Legiti, which is which is a French film by Chris Marker, who actually passed away this week. And it was the basis for 12 Monkeys. It's a very highly experimental film. I think it's only like 40 minutes long or something, but it's not like an actual film film. It's just a series of still photography with like with the voiceover narration. Hmm. But they're laid out to sort of tell a narrative. It's a really good movie. You should check it out. Maybe so it's nice, to, it's nice to see him on there at no, number 50 since he passed away. Maybe I will. It's a uh, short watch. It's a short watch. So if you want to see the, the full list, uh, Kevin, you have the entire list on your letterbox. So uh, the easiest way to get to the list is probably just to um, go to our site at filmpulse.net and click on Kevin's name on the right, and you'll see the list. Yes, because now that is... I automatically had to make that list because I need to see all of these movies now. I only I saw eleven. I saw fifteen. Yeah, I only saw eleven of them. Man, you saw you saw fifteen. You saw four more than me. The only one, and another one that I don't really agree with is the rules of the game, which is at number four. I just I don't understand. Uh, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I got to revisit that movie. I never. I don't think I saw that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's from 1939. Hey, well, hey, I thought it was okay. I thought yeah. it was okay. Yeah, there was a lot of these that I mean, like my on Letterbox, I'm actually making my own personal list of top 50, and uh, probably one of these is on it. <laughs> or no, I'm, no, I'm sorry. Uh, at least two or three of them are on it, but like, the, like I, I recognize that a lot of these movies are great. But yeah, and I mean, a lot of them are because of the technological aspects of it. Yeah, like some of these movies invented things that are seen as everyday now. Like every movie uses it, but to think of it back then at that time, with the technology that they had, that they were able to do some of these things. Yeah. Well, let's go over our ten out of tens. Um, I'll start off. My ten out of ten is. Uh, an Alfred Hitchcock film, but it's not Vertigo. Oh, it's not Vertigo. It is not. I, I love Vertigo. I love it. And I, I probably would give it a 10 out of 10. But Vertigo is amazing. Uh, my ultimate favorite Alfred Hitchcock film, and one of my favorite movies of all time, is Rear Window. Oh, yeah. With Grace Kelly and James Stewart. Or Jimmy oh. Stewart. Oh, G- old oh, Jay Stu. This is... And I don't know why, but to me, this is one of... It's just a perfect film. It's a classic. The Now, I don't know. Maybe you can answer me this, and I should have looked this up. Uh, was the original version of the film in color? Or did they colorize it at some point? Or maybe there was two versions. Because uh, the- for some reason, I remember when I was really, really small... The first time I saw this, I seem to remember it being in black and white, but... No, I think, I think it was originally in color. Okay. Well, anyway, because that, that, that was actually what I was going to say, was that the colors in this film were just so vibrant. And, I mean, this was made in 1954, and it's probably right around when, like, Technicolor first was 
booming. And it was just such a phenomenal movie. It's been remade a million times in different other movies. It's and TV shows. Because didn't shows uh, and wasn't I seem to remember Animaniacs doing this. Probably The Simpsons <laughs> did it. Yeah, um, I, th- I, th- I think pretty much everyone. Pretty much everybody remakes this movie. There was Disturbia, the Shia LaBeouf movie uh, that came out. That was actually it was actually pretty good. I, oh, I thought God? it was going to be terrible, but it's it's actually pretty good. Really? Um, and they actually did they remade this movie with uh, Christopher Reeves as well. Yes, I remember that one. So it's just a phenomenal movie. It's one of Hitchcock's finest. In my opinion, it is his finest, and it you should definitely check that one out. Well, yeah. I mean, if you haven't checked out this movie... If you haven't seen Rear Window, pause this, go watch Rear Window, and then come back. Yeah. Cause Immediately. Everything about it is... It's one of those movies that I can just watch over and over again and just enjoy. I, I do watch it. I watch it at least once a year because it's just such a great movie. Yeah, I think I've seen Rear Window probably probably not as many as you, but I've probably seen it like four or five times. And I don't know why. And it's always good. It's, it's always good, though. I'm never, there's never a point while I'm watching it where I'm like, well, I already saw this. There's no point to watching this. Just the way, that Hitch, the way that Hitchcock filmed it, how he's like looking through you know, his telescopic lens and, and looking at the other building and how there's that like courtyard that they share and it's just like this little community and he's just watching all these people living their lives. Yeah, it's... It's fantastic. He, it's, no one does mystery and suspense better than Hitchcock. And the interesting thing about Hitchcock is that his his style, his his camera work was so incredible. Like when you, it's easy to forget about things or not notice things like that. But you have to realize that this was made in 1954, and some of the camera work in it looks so good. Like nowadays, they would use CG to mimic that type of camera work, you know, and he had, he had to do it. Now in some of his other movies, it was more prominent, like crazy camera work, but this yeah. still just great. He does unbelievable things. 10 out of 10. What? I mean, the number of Hitchcock movies that I could give a 10 out of 10 are a lot. Oh yeah, I think he. Yeah, I think he might be the most ten out of ten, able. Can that, can we make that a word? Ten out of tenable. Sure. Ten out of tenable director there is. Absolutely. So many classics. Absolutely. I, I, Amazing. Almost everything he does is incredible. Even the TV show. I'm yeah, the TV show was awesome. Oh, I loved that. Yeah, like I, I didn't. I didn't. I remembered watching it like on Nick at Night, but. I didn't really remember anything about it other than that he did his little intro at the beginning and stuff. <laughs> which I loved. His <laughs> intro was the best. Which was always hilarious. And But I didn't really remember anything about the show. I didn't remember any specific episodes. So I went back and watched it because they have the whole series on Hulu. Oh. And so I went back and watched some of them and I was just like, this is incredible. Like, this is so good. It's like little movies. Yes. Uh, and I guess... It also is to note that Hitchcock, there's two biopics coming out. 
Yes, there is. The Two. Toby Jones plays the one, correct? And, yeah, and Anthony Hopkins is the other one. Oh, so we're going to have dueling Hitchcocks. Yeah, I don't know why they're doing that. It's just like the, because Steve, the Steve Jobs thing. Well, they always do that. As soon as they come out with one idea, the other studio is like, oh, we're going to do the same thing. Uh, one of them is about the birds, and the yeah. other one's about Psycho, I believe. Yeah. So, we'll we'll see. I, I'll see both of them, probably. Yeah. They, both Hopkins and Toby Jones look the part. I saw the picture of Anthony Hopkins with all the makeup and stuff, and he really looks like him. But yeah. it looks like with Toby Jones, they're not putting a lot of makeup and, and like prosthetic stuff on him. So maybe in the end he'll look more like him, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. All right. What is your 10 out of 10, Kevin? Uh, my 10 out of 10 also plays into the whole top 50 sight and sound top 50 greatest movies of all time side note my one out of 10 plays into it as well oh shit mine does not (laughs) (laughs) but but i am now very curious to see what your one out of 10 is but my movie is actually number 10 on the top 50 greatest films of all time which is eight and a half by federico fellini which we saw we did I didn't like you, it. <laughs> as youths, yes, I know that you didn't. Uh, still, still not a big fan. Still not a big fan of the eight and a half. Um, uh, no, I appreciate it. I think, if I remember correctly, I think you fell asleep <laughs> the first time I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> what can I say? I was tired that day. <laughs> it was a rough day. Rough day. Yeah, r- rough day in our completely nothing <laughs> lives where we didn't do anything. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, um, to me, I think this is this is easily one of my favorite movies of all time, and I would definitely agree with it being a top ten. I would like to see it a little bit higher, but I mean, you can't be too upset about top ten. No. No, you can't. Um, This was the first movie for me. I think this was like one of the first movies that I saw that really got me into film. Like we were into film before this movie. But I mean, we got to be honest. We were watching a lot of like mainstream stuff. Well, we had a couple of like indie stuff here and there. But this was the movie that sort of opened my eyes to like everything. Yeah, but that was, during that time, was kind of the transition period, because that's when we both got really into it, and that's yeah. when we were seeing a lot of, a lot of stuff, like, that. that's, um, that's, like, right around the same time we saw Andre Rublev, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, if you Which, want to say, if you want to say, yeah. I, I didn't even mark that I've seen that because no, that's something that I have to revisit. I absolutely don't remember anything about that. I just remember a balloon. Yeah, I think I remember a balloon. I just remember a floating balloon. I remember that it was like three hours long, like three and a half hours long. Well, I didn't something insane. 
I made you turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we didn't we didn't finish that. I was like, nope, I can't do this anymore. No. You gotta be in the right mood to watch those movies. Yeah. You can't I mean, be like, it's movie night, let's pop an Andre Rublev. <laughs> Get oh the crack the crack the beers. Rublev oh, time. Time for some Tarkovsky. No. Yeah, I mean yeah, I, I feel the same way about eight and a half. I feel like that that's a movie you gotta be in a certain mindset yeah watch some of these movies and usually for me oddly enough that mindset is sunday afternoon that's when i it's a great time to watch them that's that's where i do the bulk of my like italian and french films is you know sunday afternoon and mumblecore is great on a sunday afternoon are you kidding me I didn't. I didn't love eight and a half, but I. I will say, uh, at least it's not five hours long. No, it's definitely not that. But the the main thing that I love about this movie, I mean, I love everything about it. Uh, the acting, the camera work, the writing. Uh, I mean, a, the sense that it's one of like the first self-referential films that was made. Because the title comes from, I mean, Fellini said that he made seven and a half movies, so this is number eight and a half, hence the title. But the opening sequence of this movie is what hooked me. You know, where he's, where it's like the traffic jam, Mm -hmm. and the camera panning around, and him like floating over top of the cars, and the, this, the, uh, this, the shot with, the people in the bus with just their arms hanging out, but you mm-hmm. can't see their head, which is really weird. And then him like floating out and then like floating up into the sky. And then, you know, the people that sort of represent the the studio come by and yank them down from the clouds. That was like, that was it for me. Seeing that opening scene, I was like, oh my God. There's so many films to watch. Film is amazing. <laughs> I love cinema. This is so awesome. Yeah. There's there's always like those those few that you can say like that really got you hooked and that was a really I think that time for both of us when we saw Eight and a Half was a really influential time because not only did we see Eight and a Half, we saw so many other and we were Really into Asian cinema at that same time. Yeah, we were like, we were like, man, like chest deep in Asian cinema. Oh yeah, because it was so cheap to buy to buy the. Oh products. yeah, exactly. eBay, every like every week we would buy like eight, yeah. eight DVDs. Yeah, because the I mean we had all region players and we would just order them. They were so cheap on eBay. Which I realized the other, I think like Friday, I realized, why do, I don't have an all region player anymore. And I don't know why. I don't know. You just use your computer, I guess. Yeah. But you can only change that once in a while. I guess I can crack it, but you don't want to talk about illegal stuff. Uh, I don't know if that's technically illegal, but it should be be. a gray area. So I think we'll (laughs) just skip over it. But yeah, eight and a half also... With in conjunction with that opening scene, like that made that a point for me now. 
when I watch films is I have to see the opening scene. How do they start the movie off? Yeah. Because I think that's how you really important. Yeah. That's how they hook you, which, and it's rough when that's like the best part. I mean, you can see it in Nolan, like the, the last two Batmans. I mean, the whole shebang is right there in the opening scene. And, and uh, like we talked about Torn Horse, that was amazing opening scene. And then it just sort of went downhill from there. We'll be talking about Beast of the Southern Wild, too. One of the best opening scenes. One of the most yes. powerful. One of the most powerful, like, opening three minutes in yes. pretty much any movie I've ever seen. Just amazing. And uh, Cabin in the Woods was a great example of, I thought, a great opening scene. Yes. Yes, I enjoyed the opening scene that one. I mean, there's tons, but... Yeah, there's a lot. The Samurai, if you've ever seen that movie. Did I? That's a great opening scene. I don't remember. It's sort of known, I think it... I forget how long it goes, but there's no dialogue for I don't know how long. But I'm sure the Torn Horse beats that. Ugh. Because that was like, what? That was like a half an hour almost. Speaking of the torn horse. Is that your 10 out of 10? Or your 1 out of no, 10? No, it's, it's not. It's not. Um, but going along with that, a movie that I just couldn't stand. Uh, my 1 out of 10 is Twixt, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Ooh. This is a newer movie. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to go with something newer. Okay. And when I said it was related, it was... Just the fact that there's, what, f- three Francis Ford Coppola movies on the top 50? Yeah, which I got it. Because he's got Apocalypse that. Now and Godfather 1 and 2 on there. Yeah. I mean, I can agree with Apocalypse Now and the first Godfather, but Godfather Part 2, to have three Coppolas on the top 50? Well, here's my... Well, I don't know. If I were to choose, I would, I would take away Godfather 1 and put in 2 instead. I like 2 mm. better. But... At any rate, Twixt. Twixt. Um, if you haven't heard of this, it's starring Val Kilmer, uh, Bruce Dern, and Elle Fanning. And it's sort of a, uh, I don't even know how to, it's sort of a ghost story where Val Kilmer plays this Stephen King. He's quoted as being the bargain basement Stephen King in, in the film. Mm. And he's doing this little book tour. He writes about, I think, witches, mostly. And he's doing the book tour, and he ends up in this uh, tiny little town. And he ends up meeting Bruce Dern, who's the the sheriff. And he finds out that there is this um, strange murder that takes place. And he decides to stay and write about it. And things sort of evolve and he starts to understand what happened in this town and the premise sounds like it might be interesting mm-hmm. execution horrible horrible uh, everything everything about the movie is horrible there's these terrible like hallucinations that he has or whatever visions or i don't even know what the hell they are but they're just awful it's almost as if Francis Ford Coppola is trying to make a Lynch movie or something. Mm. Or there's these like really weird scenes that don't make sense, and he uses a lot of different like camera tricks and stuff. And 
different filters and tries to make it really artistic and stylistic looking. None of it works. It's a complete fucking mess from the very beginning. (laughs) And I can't recommend it on any level. It is so awful. And the thing that... The, one of the reasons that I picked this movie is because it's Francis Ford Coppola, the guy who has three movies on the top 50 movies of all time. <laughs> and he comes out with this pile that is so awful that it's well, completely unexcusable. Well, I think we're seeing... Uh, I mean, if you're making movies long enough, well, I was going to say you're going to eventually make a shite movie. But at the same time, is that necessarily true? Is that necessarily true? I mean, I don't, I don't think that they're, you know, you would think like that would be true, but I I don't, there's some people that have, there's exceptions to that rule. I mean, look at Scorsese, you know? Yeah. I mean, he'd say he's made some bad movies, but he's never made a movie where you're just like, what? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's made some not great movies, but I can't think of any that I just absolutely hated that were complete crap. Yeah. And from all accounts, from what you've told me, because we've talked about this movie off the air, this just sounds like a mess of a movie. Yeah. It's it, a- it, it almost sounds like a person that's never made a movie before. There are fundamental flaws in this movie that a film student would look at in editing and say, oh, i got to fix that. we got to reshoot that. We've got to do something about that. I mean, just basic filmmaking techniques that get thrown out the window. And it is, it's garbage. It's just a complete mess. Well, the, one of the things, because I remember when this movie came out, and I remember talking to you about it because it was something rather interesting regarding this film was, number one, Dan Deacon does the music, and I absolutely love Dan Deacon, but it was the sense that uh, Francis Ford Coppola was going to do, like, live screenings of this film, where he would edit it live, yeah. based on the crowd's reaction, and have, like, live music playing with it, which I thought was a good idea. I mean, it sounds interesting enough. I would like to see that done. I would like to see how that plays out. But from what you're telling me about this movie, I would like it to see it play out with like a good movie and not a piece of shit. It, it sounds like that that was an experiment that just didn't work. And I think that that's what's happening with Coppola is that he's trying to, I mean, he's made his big movies. He's made all his money. He doesn't need money. So he's just going to, do some of these passion projects and make some stuff that he just wants to do personally, but it's all kind of not good. And this movie was also in 3d. He made it in 3d Mm. for some reason. Yeah. Which was now I didn't see it in 3d, but I read that it was the kind of 3d where (laughs) like you didn't put on the glasses the whole time and like, things would pop up to tell you to put the glasses on. Oh, that's terrible. Or something. I don't know if that's that's true, but it definitely, the movie wasn't 3D and it was, uh, I don't know how the 3D looked, but I would imagine not very good. 
Mm, probably not. So. Probably not. I mean, I did like Tetro, which is his his movie before this. No, I didn't see Tetro, but uh, I enjoyed Tetro. I mean, it wasn't amazing or anything, but it also wasn't one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Well, maybe you should see Twixt. I don't know if I want to now. <laughs> I think you should see Twixt on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, uh, God. Twixt. And I mean, uh, what, happened? what happened to Val Kilmer and Coppola? I mean, Coppola's made some not, not great things before. He did, like, I, I think that he's been kind of falling apart for a while now. I mean, he did do Jack with Robin Williams. Oh my god, that's right. He made that movie. Yeah. Why? What the hell? Oh, Coppola. A lot of people hated his Dracula uh, film as well, but I actually liked that. So Mm-mm. I don't know. What was your one out of ten? My one out of ten uh, is with directed by what I think is one of the worst directors working right now that I can't stand at all. And that is Mr. Roland Emmerich. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) And the movie that I picked is 2012, which is just a train wreck. Most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen. Story-wise, everything. Cusack. Yeah. (laughs) Bring it full circle. First John of Cusack, all, first of all I'm surprised that you even saw this movie. Yeah, I don't know why it did. I have no idea. I can't remember why the hell I watched this movie, but I really wish that I didn't. Because he's like in the same vein, for me anyways, as Michael Bay. Oh, absolutely. He's absolutely. just so terrible. He has a formula. He has a formula and he sticks to it. Yeah. Which I'm just learning now. I didn't know that he was German. Yeah, he's a he's a style over substance guy. And but the worst part is that his style is terrible. It's very generic. I mean, he does an okay job with destruction. You know, from 2012 and the day after tomorrow. Sort of that just like epic destruction well, he does an okay job at that but my god this is just how does the hell does he keep getting money for movies is what i want to know oh i don't know he he is doing that um new white house down movie that has a bunch of people in it yeah and he's doing independence day 2 yeah another one yay yeah, White House Down has Channing Tatum, Maggie Gyllenhaal, James Woods, Joey King, Jamie Foxx, and Richard Jenkins in it. Oh, why did why do such good actors latch onto this guy? I don't know. Oh, okay. A Secret Service agent is tasked with saving the life of the president after the White House is overtaken by a paramilitary group. Yeah, it's going to be ridiculous. All of his movies are ridiculous. Uh, I didn't... Going back to you saying about how he's good with destruction, I, I will admit that the scenes of destruction in Independence Day are pretty amazing. Yeah, they're they're good. I'll give them that. But as I'm thinking, like as a studio, how do you look at that and just be like, "Well, he's really good with destruction. 
let's give them a shit ton of money to do a film. Well, there's like, I don't know, maybe three minutes of destruction. And then there's another hour and like 45 minutes of film where he's just awful. (laughs) Maybe he should just like, they should just hire him to do special effects work. Exactly. That's, I don't, and I mean, I don't, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure that when 2012 came out, it didn't do too well. No, just no, the, like the, no, critic- the day after the day after Mar didn't do too well either, right? No, I mean monetarily wise. No, mon- monetarily wise, neither of them did did yeah. good. And critically I, wise, yeah. Well, that, and I'm pretty sure Roland Emmerich is a guy that doesn't care about critics, just like Michael Bay doesn't, because no. they want they want to make that cash. They want to make that cheddar. <laughs> That's right, but. To look at 2012 and see a budget of $200 million. $200 million. Yeah, but look what it grossed. Yeah. It made money. It actually made money. It did make money. It made a lot of money. So that's why they're letting it make more. Because <laughs> it might have cost $200 million to make, but it made $769 million. That's right. I was looking at the U.S., which didn't make nearly as much. No. So maybe we're not the worst film viewing audience. No, probably not. It's just it just bothers me. To spend two hundred million dollars on a goddamn movie that has nothing. There's no point to this. They take like a serious thing well, a semi serious thing. I mean, the end of the world in twenty twelve. <clears throat> but, you know, something that's like historical and just reduce it down to the most ridiculous thing ever seen on film or one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever seen on film it's it, just disgusting it was not so great. terrible it was not a great movie i pretty much hated it i i almost saw it in the theater i'm glad i didn't i actually so but you did actually see it yeah I, I saw it when it came out on dvd yeah i don't know this is one of those where it was on I, it's actually coming back to me now. This was Netflix Play Instant. And I think it was one of those movies where we were like, me and my wife were just like, well, let's watch something stupid. Yeah, 2012. I think, I think that's how I saw it too, because I think I, I saw that on Netflix Instant as well. Pretty sure. God. Um, yeah, it was just, uh, I, I did not like it. I was really disappointed. And it felt, it was... I was going to say it felt really long, and I'm looking at the runtime. It was like 158 minutes, so it is yeah. longer. Uh, but I honestly don't even remember too much about it. I don't either. I just I, remember, I remember that... a lot of destruction and a lot of goofy... Well, I remember them getting out of all the destruction, which in and itself is ridiculous to think that John Cusack, just the father too, can make it out of the end of the fucking world. Yeah, because they had like some big giant thing set up, right? Like a yeah, and then to find out that like yeah, the U.S. military has like ships where they're only inviting a select few, but somehow John Cusack and his family sneak in, and it's it's so ridiculous. It's just the dumbest thing that I've ever seen. I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, I agree. I hate it. 
Both of my movie, both of my movies are nothing but numbers. As I realized, eight and a half in twenty twelve. Nice. Yeah, did that on purpose. And you know what the weird thing is? It's August of twenty twelve. Oh boy! Snap! Oh my god! What is happening here? It's the power of Kevin. Oh wow! Well, let's move on and do. I didn't. I seriously did not try that at all. I just realized that right now. That's pretty cool. It is weird. Let's go over our predictions for the week. And um, I would also like to note real quick, we're not going to be having a DVD show tomorrow because there's only three that are coming out, and that's the Lorax, Marley, and Bellamy, which are not worth our time <laughs> talking about. So yeah. we're not going mean, to have I would, a DVD show tomorrow. I'd probably check out the Marley documentary. You know, I heard that that's yeah. supposed to be somewhat good. Yeah, I heard it was good. But and that's a that's a person that deserves a really good documentary, I think. Yeah, I just saw some um nope, never mind. I got that <laughs> I got that mixed up with another movie. I was gonna say, Oh, I just saw some pictures from the the, the movie that they're making, but I was totally thinking of the Jimi Hendrix mm. uh, Andre three. Did you hear that they did not get the rights to use any Jimi Hendrix songs in the film? Yes. Yes. How I'm, ridiculous is that? I'm so pissed off because the Hendrix's family is they're they're ridiculous. Then I mean, you know, they own all the rights to the music and of course they're not going to let them use it. So what essentially they're going to do is have Andre 3000 do Hendrix songs that were covers yeah, that weren't the his Beatles, song. I heard he's yeah. doing like Beatles covers and stuff. But to me, Andre 3000 is perfect. For Hendrix. Yeah. He has the artistic ability to pull off Hendrix. I mean, he's not, not to say that he's in the same league, but he definitely has some chops to do it. Plus, he looks like him. I think if they would have gave him, gave them the rights to the music to use in the movie, it would be amazing. But, of course, that's not going to happen. I think it's just going to be weird. Anyway... Let's go over what we predicted last week. Uh, total recall, you said 77. I said 60. Actual 31 on total mm. I wish I would have went with what I wanted it to be. <laughs> I wanted it to be a 30, but that usually doesn't work out for me. Well, it worked out for you with the next three. You won the next three. So yes. Come back. Diary Boop. of a Wimpy Kid Dog Days. I said 19. You said 20. Actual 50. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. And we have, I think that that's actually the highest one of those wimpy kid ones. Really? Well, yeah, I'm taking Ryan. Yep. Uh, and then we have Celeste and Jesse forever. You said 75. I said 74. Actual 80. So that's supposed to be pretty good. Oh, yeah, I want to see that. I want to see it too, but it didn't come out. Down yeah, here. same here. Same here. Uh, and then we have the baby makers. We both thought that this was going to be crap. <laughs> I said thirteen. You said ten. Actual six. <laughs> yes. Oh, so. uh, thank you, America. Yep. This week we have the Born Legacy. Ooh. Which I think is going to get me to actually watch the Born movies. There you go. I don't know if I can cram all three in by the weekend though. <sighs> yeah. but, okay, because this actually looks pretty good. I think it looks interesting. Pretty good. I was—I'll tell you—I was not feeling the 
the motorcycle grinding down the rail. No, that's a bit much. I didn't like that, but bit much. The rest of it, I thought looked cool. (laughs) Mm, I wanted to say some sort of like skate trick, but I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) I forget all those. The Uh, name like tail slide. Yeah, motorcycle tail slide, (laughs) kickflip. They're starting to leave my mind, too, but what do you think for the Born Legacy? Uh, Born Legacy, I want to say like a 76. 76? All right. I'm going to say, damn it. Numbers you pick are always so close to what I want. Um, 77? Ooh, asshole. Going with the upper, upper half there? Then we have the campaign with Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis. Mm, what the watch get? <laughs> like a, I don't know. Like a thirteen? Yeah, Is something it like, like 13? that. Uh, I'm gonna. I, would, say, I think it's just gonna be bad. Yeah, it's gonna be bad. I think it's gonna be bad. Yeah. I'm. But, I'll guess thirty. Thirty. I'll say thirty. Now, this is one of those weird things where I think it's going to be worse than the watch, like, personally. But it's probably going to do better critically because it's Jay Roach. Because Jay Roach movies suck. Let's face it. The guy's terrible. Mm, I feel like he did something that I liked. Did he do Wag the Dog? Did he do Wag the Dog? Wag the Dog was a good movie. He did the Meet the Parents movies. Uh, Dinner for Schmucks, Austin Powers. He did the he did the recount on HBO, right? And yeah, the that Sarah Palin one on yeah. HBO. No, he did not do Wag the Dog. Now I want to know who did Wag the Dog. <laughs> uh, that was a good movie. I really liked that movie. Barry Levinson did Wag the Dog. Okay, I knew that. Baltimore Baltimore native. So I'm saying 30 for the campaign, and I feel the exact same way you do. I don't think that I will like it as much as The Watch, but I think that critics will. Yeah, and which, really, it's sad, because I was really excited about this movie when I first heard about it, mostly because I didn't realize that Jay Roach was directing it. I was just like, ooh, Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, this is going to be great. And then I saw that Jay Roach was the director, and it was automatically like, uh, this isn't going to be good. But I'll say, let say like a 38. 38? Okay. Um, then we have Red Hook Summer. This is the new Spike Lee joint. Oh, Spike Lee joint. Uh, I think this is actually going to be pretty good. I hope it is. It looks good. I, I think it's going to be well-received. What are you feeling on this? Hmm. I didn't really read that many initial reviews. Uh, I'm not sure where to go with this. If it'll help you, I think it does have a score on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's at like... Oh, don't say it. I don't know what it is. I'm going to try and go. I'm going to say like a 68. I'm going to say 72 on that one. Because I think Spike Lee is a very critically decisive director. I have a feeling that there's a lot of critics out there that just don't like him. I agree, but I really want to like this movie. So Yeah. I'd uh, like to see Spike Lee come back. Yeah. 
And I think that this is the one. I mean, this is a low-budget film. It's not a documentary. It's not like a giant epic or anything like that. He's just taking it back to his roots and making a small-budget film in Brooklyn. And I I think that it's going to be pretty good. It's actually supposedly coming out in theaters where I'm at. So, Ooh. Yeah. I hope that happens with me. Probably not. Uh, might. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I think that does it for another show. Oh, there we go. Yeah. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. And we want to hear your feedback. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Or give us a call on our voicemail line at area code 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that greatly. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie, where we have him watch Swing Vote in honor mm-hmm. of the campaign. Yes. So we'll see you then. <laughs>